All right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Woo! Yeah. So my name is Sean Kim. I am president and chief product officer of a company called Kajabi. And we are having a panel about storytelling. So I'm going to introduce some our, our panelists today. It's an amazing panelist. Uh, first, we have Damien Wazel. He's the CEO of Vault Comics. Uh, Damien founded Vault Comics with his cousin and brother in 2016. And their Vault comic publishes original and uh, creator-owned science fiction, fantasy, horror comics, as well as graphic novels. Recently announced uh, Headshell, which is a new imprint featuring graphic novels from recording giants like Def Leppard. Huh. Awesome. And uh, also, obviously, we are really lucky to have here with us today the Phil Collin from Def Leppard. Awesome. So Phil is obviously a rock legend. Uh, he joined Def Leppard in 1982 with over 100 million records sold worldwide. He continues to be one of the most important rock forces in rock music. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so uh, since this panel is about storytelling, I want to just first start off with uh, a few stories from you two. So uh, Phil, so you're on tour right now. Maybe you can tell us about some highlights or key moments about the tour. Absolutely. So um, we are actually on tour. We just uh, finished Latin America. You know, we was just down there and we uh, was in Miami about two days ago. But we'd um, had an amazing time in, uh, where were we, Mexico, uh, Peru, Argentina, Brazil, and j just fantastic, best audiences in the world, you know. So we obviously had a blast. And um, we're back now. We've got a little break. And then we'll be doing Europe, uh, some American dates in the fall, and then, or, sorry, in the late summer, and then we'll be doing Japan, Australia, and that. So we're, we're keeping busy, but um, great to be here. And, you know, I, I love all the stuff. The Vault Comics stuff is, is pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, pleasure to be here, an honor. Great, great, great. And, uh, Damien, maybe you can tell us about Vault Comic. Why did you start it? What it's about? Absolutely. So, my brother Adrian, cousin Nathan, and I put Vault together in 2016. So for the four years prior to that, we'd all had different careers. Nathan working as an animator. I was an academic philosopher of all things. And uh, my, my brother worked as a literary editor, created some graphic novels together, had some success with those in the convention circuit, really did some groundbreaking things there, but uh, saw this big opportunity in the market. We'd seen a lot of publishers get sort of more abundant and laser focused on telling a you know, very predictable kind of story from a very predictable kind of person. And we wanted to break that mold to, to publish some stories that came in from other genres and from historically underrepresented creators. So we launched Vault, as uh, Sean said, in 2016, first books on shelves in 2017 with a genre focus, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror and a sort of deep commitment to working with historically underrepresented creators and, you know, featuring historically underrepresented perspectives in the pages of the stories that we told. And, you know, from there, we've grown the business quite rapidly. Top five publisher now uh, had our first show go in the air three years after we, we launched the business, which, of course, is, you know, amazing and also sort of a secondary focus for us. The primary focus is always in excellence and storytelling in the pages of the books that, that we produce. And... Along the way, we got to do some, you know, really great talent-led uh, projects, and we thought, like, what if we make graphic novels with some of the biggest rock stars in the world? Can we do that? So we set our sights on doing it and ended up, you know, getting into a partnership with Metallica, with Def Leppard, with the Beach Boys, Fall Out Boy, and a number of other folks like that. So we're extremely excited to be here with Phil and Sean to talk more about what we have coming in the future. 
That sounds super exciting. <laughs> been an amazing journey so far, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, getting to hang out with uh, with people like Phil and people like Sean, you know, actual rock stars is, is, is great. <laughs> I'm not a rock star. Um, so you recently uh, announced last year Headshell, right? So maybe can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of obvious to anybody who looks at a recording artist that these are storytellers. Like, what they do is they tell stories through music. That's how they connect with people. And at Vault, you know, our sort of core focus, as I mentioned a moment ago, is excellence in storytelling. We think stories are the most important tools people have ever created to bring one another closer together. You know, at the beginning of time when people lived in caves and at the end of time, post-apocalypse, right, what we're, what we're going to do is we're not going to tell each other facts. We tell each other stories. We make myths to get through it. And that's sort of what we focus on doing as a business. And when we sort of saw the light, had this idea, like, wow, recording artists can can reach their audience with stories in a way that almost no one else in the world can. And they're just bound to be so many stories they have that never found their way into a song, never found their way into a memoir, but can find their way into a graphic novel that we know can connect with fans. And fans all over the world, uh, we sort of went crazy trying to, to bring in, as, as I said, the biggest people we could. So, you know, the first act that we really had the opportunity to approach was... Metallica, and they actually sort of bought into the vision so much that we, we pitched them on a Thursday, had a second meeting on a Friday, and that meeting on Friday, they said, look, we only want to do this if we can actually get involved in the business and invest. So we went from meeting them to them committing and investing in the business in 72 hours. And then, uh, you know, once you have Metallica, everyone will talk to you. So <laughs> we started teeing up, you know, subsequent conversations. And uh, one of the next projects we lined up was you know, hysteria with, with Def Leppard and just incredibly excited to talk more about that book. And, you know, you, you get different experiences working with different artists. And I have to say that, you know, working with Phil has been like a singular pleasure. So, Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so, Phil, how, how'd you uh, get connected and like what, what excites you about Headshell? And Sorry, what? So how did you get connected with uh, Damon and then what excites you about this project so i've always been into comic books I, when i was a kid you know I, I i have silver surfer number one i still got that and i i get these things when i just they'd just be you know imported to, to to england and stuff so i was always um excited and interested in the thing um when damien uh pitched the idea it was like this is great because we're, we're obviously storytellers as, as he mentioned you know we write songs and it's very similar. It's a very similar thing. You, you just put it over and it's a different medium, but the, the idea is the same, even if it's uh, melodic stuff as well, but especially the story. So, um, you know, we just saw this great opportunity and um, just got really excited about the stuff because it's, uh, you know, the, the Vault comics are uh, awesome. And it's, uh, it was like, this is just another way to get something over. So I got really invested in... Um, telling the story that, that we did, especially with the hysteria, the, the concept of it and everything. And so we, we dove deep into it. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be really cool. Awesome. So what, what's the, uh, what has the creative process been like? You know, getting, you know, I think you, you also, the first project is hysteria. And like, how has that creative process been? Like, what's been exciting about that? And uh, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, with a lot of songs and stories, they, they start writing themselves when you, when you get the right character. Right. And um that's what we did, you know, we, we was talking about, when it come to us initially, it was like, it, it, it can be hokey, especially when you, it, you know, include 
rock bands or something in a story that's just kind of not their norm. So I think that we had to get a creative way to include the band in the in the thing. So the thing's called Hysteria, yeah. and without giving too much away, it's um, it's about an artifact that turns into something else, and it's just cursed, and it's it's all the above, and it's you know it's a it's it's a supernatural element to it that, that I find appealing. We all found it really appealing, and we just ran with that. And like I said, you know, as soon as you kind of have a few um, characters in place or something, it starts writing itself. And, and that's the really exciting part, especially if you're slightly creative. It just You're, you're actually amazed that you're, you're hooked onto this amazing ride that you're just, you're just part of. It's really cool. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, Damon, did you want to like uh, also kind of uh, embellish on the yeah, process? Yeah, so absolutely. You know, comics are a team project. Graphic novels are a team project. Almost everything turns out to be a team project, but these really are specifically a team project. So we have, you know, on every book that we produce, we have one or more writers, one or more artists, colorists, letterers, etc. But you know, as I mentioned, start with story every time. So what we did in this case was. We got the relationship teed up, and then we went and found the right writer that we wanted to work with. In this case, a writer that we've worked with before named Elliot Rahal, who, you know, Elliot is uh, formerly a comedian, now a very successful comics writer, and he just has a singular sensibility that we thought would be right for the project. So, you know, we got Elliot to do some story ideation, put that in front of, of Phil and his team, and, you know, immediately it was, let's get on the phone tomorrow, let's talk through this, and... You know, I think probably from that original pitch, there really may be like one key thing that emerged and that the story was built around. And that was this character, you know, Fauzia, who has, uh, you know, she's the front woman of, of this fictional band, Dark Side, that, that sets, you know, sort of sets everything in motion for the story uh, with the artifact that Phil was alluding to. And, you know, ultimately, you know, Phil came in and said, look, I don't want this to be corny. I don't want Def Leppard to just be, you know, sort of, puppets on a stage in this thing they need to be like a a force in the story more than characters and so we started thinking you know how do we work them in as a you know how do we work them in as a plot element rather than as a character element more or less and built a story around that and now we're you know building the art team for the book and you know extremely excited to keep that moving forward and and I have to say you know every one of these processes is you know, bespoke. You, you find a different rhythm with every team that you work with. And I think everybody thinks this from every project that they've done. But when you're working with recording artists, that rhythm is, you know, sort of sensitized to the fact that, you know, they're touring, as Phil mentioned, he was just touring or they're recording an album. You And you, you know, like what you're doing with them is always going to have to get slotted in between the, the sort of core elements of their career. So you really have to think, you know, how do we adapt to getting the most value out of every interaction we can with them. And Phil has just been sort of over the top in how much he's been willing to contribute to the project. So that's been incredible. Awesome. So it sounds like a, it was a match made in heaven then. <laughs> awesome. Well, so, <laughs> it's great because it, in, in, inspiration obviously begats inspiration. So you, you get something going, it gets so exciting. I mean, I remember uh, just a few weeks ago, we were on the phone and there's emails floating around. And it's like, whoa can't wait to get on the phone can't wait to get see how this is turning out and it like i said it kind of writes itself in a way but it's um it's just really inspiring and that's what the art is supposed to be you know so it's it's just a wonderful experience that's great like when you find something that you love uh, to work on it's not even work at that point right it's just what you wake up and you're like really excited to work on it so yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, uh, D- Damien, how do you actually pick, um, you know, with Vault, how do you pick the stories that you want to work on? Like, what's the process like there? So, you know, with the core Vault catalog, not to, like, give away secrets, right, but we're always asking for, for four things. Um, you know, the first thing is, as I mentioned, we're a genre-focused publisher with the core catalog, so it's, you know, it does this fit in our genre mandate? And sometimes we will, uh, you know, expand the tent a little bit if we need to. So when we started publishing for the first two years, we just did sci-fi and fantasy, and then we saw a moment to, to do horror, and now even though horror only comprises about 25% of our catalog in terms of units sold, it's like 40% of the units that we sell. Horror is a very strong performing genre for us. So as mentioned, sometimes we'll expand the tent, but it's, you know, does it fit in the genre mandate? And then the, the second question we ask is, like, can we build a team around this project uh, that we want to support, you know, can we build a team around this project of people that we love working with, who you know are going to espouse the the values that we believe in as a business? And then the the fourth, or rather the third question uh, we ask is, like, can this thing be excellent of its of its kind? And that's not to say we ever get pitched a story that doesn't have in it the ability to be excellent. But sometimes we're not the right partner to make that idea excellent in the moment. So we ask, like, can we make this the best possible version of itself? Because, you know, obviously when you create story properties, you hope to see them find a life beyond their original incarnation, whether that's, you know, us creating a comic book that we're going to see make its way to television, or whether that's, you know, Neil Druckmann writing a video game about, you know, a guy protecting a girl in, in the apocalypse and a girl protecting herself, right? Like, you hope that this thing will find a momentum uh, beyond your original work. But in order to do that, it has to be excellent. And I think more importantly, most of the time they don't. So you want to know that what you did is going to be enduring on its own, that what you did is going to be, by its own lights, a great thing. And then the fourth thing we always ask is, you know, can this story grow into something else? Is it, in a word, extensible? And there are a lot of things I won't say on a stage in front of other people about, you know, the sort of internal questionnaire that we go through to ask, uh, you know, of, of each book, to interrogate each book, can we make this extensible? But there's some obvious things that, that you can think about. Like, we, we, we work in a visual medium, right? So is there a clear visual iconography we can put on the page that if someone then realizes this on the screen or someone puts this on a T-shirt will translate immediately because, you know, every artist that touches the thing is going to take a different gaze, going to deliver a different result. Can we find that, you know, iconography that makes this translate? Um, you know, I think about Phil with, with musical covers, right? And it's like, does the thing have that melodic hook that makes you know what it is no matter who plays the first four bars of it, right? That's what we're looking for, but visually. Uh, another thing we ask is, you know, when we're thinking about extensibility, like, does this have a setting that can contain a story at a different scale? And if the answer to that, you know, either of those questions is no, that doesn't necessarily mean we pass on the book, but that does mean we ask, like, are there other things we can put in there that can form the foundation of, of more extensible storytelling? So for the Core Vault catalog, it's sort of those, uh, you know, those four elements, the, the genre focus, the team, whether we can make it excellent, and that is whether we're the right partner to make it excellent, and whether it's extensible. On the other hand, when we're building a, a line like Headshell, 
Um, you know, a long time ago, the Supreme Court was asked to rule on like what did and didn't count as pornography, right? And the, the verdict of the court was like, you know it when you see it. For the head shell projects, <laughs> the, it's a you know it when you see it moment. It's can we connect with the artists? Can they connect with us? Can we find like a kernel of shared excitement? Um, because the worst possible thing we could do with, with a group like Def Leppard is make something that just felt like a piece of, you know, commercial schlock, right? And there's a real risk of that if you're not both connected to an idea that resonates with, you know, with the artist, with the, the creative team we're building. And so that for us is the sort of single desideratum for the head show line is can we find this shared point of excitement and engagement. Awesome. That's uh, and so it, with Phil, like um, you know, when you were working with Damien, like as a musician, like how did you think about the storytelling component of it, and like you know, what was your, how did you contribute to it? Like what, you know, what was that process like just for this specific project? Um, again, you know, the first thing it, it come down to the characters as well. When when the when the main character started developing, it it, it kind of ran away with itself, and um just this edgy thing and and it's it's supernatural kind of horror type thing it's in there it kind of it's all the above so it, um and again it's the teamwork like Damien was saying as, as soon as you do that and and you're on the same page it, it it's a really exciting process and I do compare it to songwriting because it's um same thing you can you can have an idea and if someone goes oh well, what about if it does this how about we change this melody and it goes and then all of a sudden you go oh and and you're often running again, so it's pure inspiration. Mm-hmm. It can happen at any time. I love I love the reward you get from from doing that. Right, it is amazing. So I'm I'm just in this great new family of of inspiration. That's um and it's writing as opposed to writing songs. So no, loving it. That's awesome. And you you have this mental image as well. You always do again when when you write a song. You know, it's you have a mental image. What it what it actually looks like. You know right. what the the drums sound like what the guitars what the textures of the vocals what the melody does what the emotional response would be once once you put it out there and and if you if you get that then you're onto a a really good winning formula got it so like inspiration can happen anywhere it's also really important to have the right teams in place and okay absolutely i mean we was talking about this earlier just uh touring you know it's um it can be really difficult I mean, it's 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 kind of a, a bit stressy tour and that, but it can be a lot of fun. And it's uh, it's the gla- glass half full thing that that we always that's that's how we approach it. Mm-hmm. So touring is is just a, a fun thing. I, I yes, it can be tiring, but it's it's amazing as you know, especially at this stage of our career. You know, I'm 65 now, and it, it's this was probably one of the best tours we've ever done because everyone enjoyed it so much. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Awesome, awesome! Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, another reason that we're on stage today is because we're announcing a partnership, uh, Vault as well as Kajabi, uh, and uh, it's called uh, Vault Unbound. So, Damien, if you wouldn't mind, like, you know, why, why, uh, what, what is Vault Unbound, and why did you decide to work with, uh, with Kajabi? Yeah, so entertainment companies historically, and especially when you think about them at, like, a larger scale, they operate in a very closed doorway, right? Like everything goes on behind a curtain and there's not a lot of opportunity for 
fans to engage with what's coming together before it's suddenly, you know, sort of put in front of them with like, especially in the streaming era, like three week marketing campaign, you go from never having heard of a film to seeing a trailer for it on YouTube. And like, only if you go looking for it, do you see it? And then suddenly it's there, right? Uh, the thing about comics and graphic novels is that like, you can't read a comic book while you're folding your laundry. You can't listen to it as an audiobook. Um, we expect, require, I guess, the undivided attention of the fans that engage with our books. And that means that for us as a business, we try extremely hard to respect that fact in everything that we do. And that also means that, like, we're asking people for a level of care and commitment that they really don't give to a lot of other things. Uh, so those two things together, looking at this and thinking, wow, you know, historically entertainment businesses don't open the doors to people. And we ask for a level of commitment from our audience that they don't have to give to, to many other things they experience made us think, you know, how can we better reach them? How can we invite them into the process you know, to put it in, you know, a single phrase, how can we invite them to care before we ask them to buy something from us? How can we give them something to care about? How can we uh, create a connection with what we're doing and the audience long before we ask them to engage in a transaction in the marketplace where they may have a bunch of other things that they want to be entertained by? And so... On one level, what we're building in Vault Unbound and the Kajabi platform is a community where we can invite people in to you know, a, a private community with free and also premium memberships where they can see what we're working on. They can talk with our creative teams. They can talk with our staff. They can you know, read things as they're coming together, look at, at test art before anybody's committed to something, uh, and, and really engage in a way that we've never sort of had the opportunity to engage with our fans before. And then on the other level, what we're building on the Kajabi platform is, you know, when you run a, a publishing company, it's sort of astonishing how quickly the pages stack up. We look back at our catalog, and at this point, we have tens of thousands of pages of back catalog of books that uh, we would like to be able to share with people maybe more easily than we can at the moment. You know, and we'd like to do that in a way where they don't have to go buy the book from Amazon. They can interact with us, interact with our creators. And so we'll also be, you know, serving a selection of our back catalog on the Kajabi platform as a digital reading experience there. And I know that might like raise an eyebrow if you're really familiar with what Kajabi does, because you think like, oh, Kajabi is like a knowledge economy business, right? But at the end of the day, like knowledge or just what we regard as knowledge, those are just stories we're willing to live by. So, you know, everything that you could build on the Kajabi platform to, you know, deliver knowledge to people, it has to be, by necessity, a storytelling tool. So strip away the names, you know, coaching and classes, and just think about what the platform can actually deliver. And what you have there, fundamentally, is a really structured, really powerful storytelling platform. And then, you know, with a, a company like Kajabi, like, you don't necessarily want to be crass and just point at the numbers, but the numbers are so staggering for them, it's really hard to overlook, right? Like, they've generated, as of what, two days ago, five billion in revenue for creators on their platform with, like, one and a half of that in just the last 12 months. Like, that is astonishing, especially when you compare it to other channels that, that people might be able to deliver their content to, to an audience with. And so that's sort of, 
two, the twofold approach that we're putting together with Vault Unbound is, you know, inviting people in, inviting people to be a part of the creative process and to engage with us at a level they've never had the opportunity to before and inviting them to, to read widely in the catalog. And of course, it's no coincidence that we're launching this ahead of what we're doing in Headshell and what we're doing with a few other lines led by major talent we'll be announcing later this year because, like, I want Def Leppard fans <laughs> to come read the Vault catalog. But to make that happen, I have to give them a path to do that. So, you know, when somebody pre-orders the hysteriographic novel from us, from the time they pre-order until the time they receive that book, they'll have access to the Vault Unbound uh, platform to read and to engage and to explore. And, you know, like, yeah, I want to poach a few of Phil's fans to come read the Vault catalog. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that sounds super exciting. I mean, being, you know, uh, as a fan, being part of the actual creative process of what you're building and, like, being able to actually interact or, uh, you know, being part of the room where you're having conversations about upcoming events as well as, like, the story unfolding or whatever it might be. That's, like, really, really uh, exciting to be, be part of, so. I mean, I, I, I can say, like, the conversations with Phil, the conversations with pretty much every creative team we ever talk to, they're, like, some of the most exciting, best conversations I get to have in my life because, like, as grown-ups, we're constantly fenced off from play, and we're told, you got to do this by 9, you got to do this by 10, you got to go to the doctor, right? But what we do when we're, like, planning a, a book, when we're talking about a book, it's play. And, like, getting to sit down and play with a bunch of really cool, really smart grown-ups is, like, it's hard to beat. Best thing in the world, huh? <laughs> It really is. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, so, Phil, what, what kind of excites you about the, the Vault Unbound uh, project and, um, you know, that, that, that's coming up, you know, with Kajabi? Like, what, what, what's your thoughts there? Well, it's, it's very different for us, obviously, for, to, to get into this kind of medium. But, you know, as Damien said, the, the interactive approach is just amazing. And back to the teamwork thing, you know, we, we, we really stress on that in the band. So it's, it's just wonderful to be invited into another team that works. And I, I'm, I'm a real, I'm loving the, the, the kind of uh, association we've got and, and the fact that it can, it really works as an inspirational tool and there's something really cool that's going to come out of it. I think um, there's, with art, you know, there's a, a big shift from um, from music, say, in the, in the 70s or 80s when it became very corporate and you actually heard it. Um, so you, we're always aware of that and, and you want to be as much um, about the art part of it as you can and that's what's amazing about this, that, that there's still that kind of integrity which um, is great. And so when anyone gets to see the, the final and you, you know, project when it comes out, it's, it's, it's all about integrity and, and, and real. It's, it's real in, you know, in inspiration and fun behind the whole process, you know, and that's what it should be. That's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm super excited to be continue to work on this project with you guys. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, switching to like uh, you know the loyal fan base and, and building engagement. You know, I, when I worked at TikTok and and even at Kajabi, having that really loyal fan base is uh, such a critical part of success, right? And, and building a business and so on. And so, you know, as um, how, how has Def Leppard been so successful at building a, such a loyal fan base over the over the years? Um. It does come down to integrity. I can remember us playing in, you know, after Hysteria. You know, our album Hysteria went 
12 times platinum in the States, the album before Pyromania, 10 times platinum. And then we found ourselves playing in a, a field with hardly any people there. And you go, whoa. And that would be disheartening. It wasn't. We just thought, well, we're going to have to work harder, work through this, and it'll come out the other side. So there's an integrity thing that we absolutely have. Um, uh, again, you know, we, we do all our own vocals. Uh, uh, you, you go on, uh, you see a lot of pop artists or rock bands, everyone, they, they use tracks. And we, we don't. We make a, a, a real point. That's a kind of representation of, of the integrity that we still have. You know, I, I get up at six or whatever it is in the morning, work out every single day. Actually, everyone in the band is, is doing the same thing. We have a trainer. Everyone's eating right. And like I said, it's, um, it, it means more as an as, as older person than it did when, you know, you have the labels, you know, putting money into you. And I was uh, MTV, God knows what. So it means you have to work a bit harder. But I think people, fans see that. They, they see that you actually care. And um, then they, they want to come along for that ride as well. Because, again, back to the inspiration thing, we're inspired. And, and I think it, it, it shows when, when we get on stage. It's like we, we are a badass rock band and we, we're the best live band I've ever seen. So, you know, it's, it's nice to kind of share that. And we still do it. Like just the other night in Miami, it was, it was like, I can't believe these vocals sound so good. It's because we really work at it. It sounds fake. I'm actually listening to, you know, Joe, Sav, and Vivian, and I'm actually singing along with them. And I'm going, this sounds fake, and it's just because we worked our ass off and continue to. And you can never let that guard down. You, you know, when you have a little bit of success, that means you've got to work even harder. So we're, we're just well aware of that, and um, and again, we get a buzz out of it as well. Yeah. So it sounds like being. Thank you. I mean, we're, we were incredibly lucky last night. Uh, you know, we had a dinner and, uh, with around 40 people, and Phil came and played for us. It was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I was, like, having chills and just standing there just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so thank you again. Pleasure. Pleasure. It was so much fun, actually, as well, you know. So yeah, that was really Leave the other guys at home, and, yeah, I'll see them next month. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, uh, so you know, talk to us about social media. Like, you know, social media has definitely helped to, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of businesses in terms of, um, you know, and, and artists build and reach out to fans and so on. How, how has it helped Vault uh, in terms of uh, the, you know, copy book business? Like, how has social media been a big part of that business? So book publishing is, I don't know, one of the oldest businesses uh, still in operation, you know, sort of categorically in the world, right? And some of the major players are centuries old European companies that aren't sort of known for innovation and marketing, right? I won't point any specific figures, but book publishing specifically has just been like, it's been moribund in, how, in terms of how it engages with its audience. And until social media came on the scene, the way you might see a book marketed were like posters in a subway station or an ad in the back of a different book you already bought, but now don't have at the bookstore, so you're not going to buy a new thing in the moment, right? Uh, social media enabled publishers of, of story content, story properties across the board to point out a thing with a specific call to action when it was ready for people to engage with. And it was like suddenly a way where you could not just point out a thing that was coming, right? But do the most important thing in storytelling, which is tell a story about the story you want people to care about. It gave you this moment to market with story, not just market with posters or 
flyers or whatever else you might have. And so that just completely revolutionized how publishers could get people to care about their books. And we think about things like TikTok now. I mean, I'm sure everybody here is familiar with the corner of TikTok they call Book Talk, where you know books that may otherwise never have seen the sales numbers that they generate are suddenly able to explode uh, because you've got somebody there telling a story about how much they care about this. Uh, really, the long and short of it is it, it enabled that kind of direct interaction with fans who could then tell other fans how much they cared about this, how much it meant to them, how much they wanted to have a connection not just with the piece of fiction but with somebody else over it. Right? And so that you know, just completely changed how you could market story properties. For us, I mean, we didn't spend a single dollar on media placement in our first four years as a business. Uh, it was completely earned media and organic social traffic. We didn't run a social ad. We didn't do anything like that. Um, because what we wanted to do was build a core group of you know, evangelists for the brand, a core group of fans that wanted to read everything that we published. And we engineered a catalog that was you know, conceptually and practically possible to be a fan of, conceptually possible because it has this genre focus. If you like one thing, we know there are other things we will publish that you like. And practically possible because, you know, we publish at most 15 new series a year in the Core Vault line. And, you know, if somebody really wants to come by every one of those, that's a cadence they can, they can sustain. And so we built that core group of evangelists. And, you know, it, it was kind of amazing to watch, you know, this sort of curve, right, happen with our, our sales and, and the kind of excitement we got for books. And that just, like, simply wouldn't be possible without social media. But... Then, you know, we circle back to the Kajabi platform. The thing about social media as it occurs, you know, as it exists now, is that while it generates an enormous amount of immediacy, it's really hard to create a sort of, you know, parallel intimacy there. And that's what we want to achieve in the Kajabi platform. Yeah. I mean, I think social media is really, really fascinating because it's, uh, at least for Kajabi, even at TikTok, I mean, you know, you get, with businesses that use those platforms, you get feedback very quickly. Right, it's a very fast way to understand what you're doing well, what you're not doing well. Uh, I mean, being in product also, you know, it's uh, we're able to understand if something breaks, like just like that, right? They'll <laughs> they'll tell you right there on the spot in, in social media, and you're like, oh, I got to fix something really quickly, right? And uh, we also do polls and try to figure out like what uh, what features we can improve uh, first, second, third. So that's a really fast way to get that uh, insight from, from people, uh, that, that are your fans or, or, you know, customers and so on. So it's interesting. Yeah. How, how about, uh, Phil, like, uh, you know, how has social media helped with Def Leppard and, and, you know, what's the, you know, what have they done to like really drive the, you know, the, the... um, because it's in a constant state of evolution, everything, I, you know, I remember, you know, when we first started to make vinyl records for vinyl and cassette, and with each one, you would go, oh, my God, it's the, it's the end of the thing. I can remember when bookstores closed, how uh, disheartened I was and almost scared. I was like, oh, my God. But I also knew that there, there would be something coming straight behind it that with, with really creative minds at work all the time. And it's great hearing Damien talk because it's like he is he's one of those guys who actually creates things and makes things happen. So um, you just have to be aware that there's something coming on i mean our last album we just recorded i done all my guitars and everything on a laptop in in my front room and and it sounds 
better than stuff that we when we'd go into these multi-million dollar studios and again they would close and you go oh my god it's the end of an era and this is terrible and and no it just means that something else is going to come social media is exactly that i remember doing all these newspaper articles and you you do a interview and maybe you'd get a little column in something or even a, a you know a the, the front cover or whatever, but social media is moving so fast. It's hit so many people, you know, we've all got our phones on us and it's like, it's right there. You, you, you don't have that with the traditional paper, you know, it's like newspapers as well. You know, it's, you're suffering, you know, you, with, with, with this, it's like immediately in your bloodstream. So it's, um, it's fascinating and you, you, you just have to find creative ways to make it work for you. Um, we, like I said, we've, we've been on tour. We've got uh, uh, this guy, videographer, uh, Ryan Sebastian, who travels with us everywhere. So, you know, we had this giant plane. It's us and Motley Crue, which right there, you get, it was so much fun. You can imagine the conversations. And he's filming everything. And it, it's just amazing. And then he spends the rest of the, until three in the morning, putting all the content up. And, and so it's, like I said, it's, it's, it hits the bloodstream straight away. And, and that's what's fascinating about it and what's, what's great about it. You know, you, you absolutely do that. And you have to roll with everything, with every new thing. Like I said, you know, a studio will close down that whole thing. A newspaper, a book store closed down. And all of a sudden you've got something that's more creative and, and, and kind of better in a way that replaces it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have like a, a favorite social platform like uh is tiktok instagram no i i stopped going on on them because for me personally people get very cruel on on those things and i don't personally need to do that but um yeah we're on everything you know def leopard is is on that stuff and we we put all their content up and it's it's really important to do that i, I don't personally go on there because um i am so busy every second of the day it's um which which again i find inspiring as well yeah, you know, even though I worked at TikTok, um, I'm not a, I'm not great at making TikToks, right? So, <laughs> so we have to, uh, I, I uh, you know, definitely work with uh, uh, people that are much younger and better at creating that type of content, right? And so uh, they're the experts in like, hey, this is how what's trending, and this is how uh, you're supposed to represent yourself on these different types of social platforms. It's, it's, the, the media isn't always the same across these different platforms, right? With Instagram and TikTok. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's like a learning process for me. Even, even though I worked at the a company, I'm like, eh, I'm still not very good at actually creating that type of content. So. Well, it goes back to the team thing again. Someone, someone in there is the sure. same. And that, that's how it works. You know, you'll, you'll work on your strengths. And then when you combine them, yeah. boom, away you go. You know, it's great. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, so Phil, what, what's, uh, what's next for... Def Leppard. What's um, so we're still we have this Diamond Star Halos album, the one I said that I did in my front room. Um, we, we're still touring that, and, and um, we we done the, the states last year, us and Motley Crue, and it was such a successful tour, the stadiums that um, the rest of the world said, "Yep, can you come here?" So that's that's what we're in the process of doing right now, and uh, like I said, that'll go right up until you know next win or this winter coming, like November, December. Um, uh, in Japan, and then you see what happens after that. We've actually got a really big thing announcement to make, but I can't say anything about it. That's that's happening later on uh, this summer, actually. So, um, just so much exciting stuff, and obviously we can tie with with the the comic and and everything and the graphic novel. We can tie that all that in as well because it's um, all part of the same structure, you know. 
It's, it must be really exciting going on tours. And, yeah. it, it is. It is. And um, but it's, you know, the reward, I, obviously writing songs, creating stuff, and actually getting to play it. That's, that's, it's, that's the no-brainer part is the actual... As long as you're rehearsed and you're good to go, it's, it is really exciting, yeah, especially the travel part, you know. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Damien, how about you? Like, what's, what's, uh, what's next for Vault? So there's this strange thing when you, you, you know, run a story company and, and you sort of always have to look back to look forward because everything that you've been working on for several years you know, it's coming out now. So you, you look back at the things you built two years ago, that's what you're, you're selling to, to folks now. Uh, so for us looking ahead, you know, we've got some really incredible film and television news we'll be announcing on some of our biggest titles, things that came out, you know, a, a few years ago. We're about to launch our first spinoff series, which we've never done before. You know, everything's sort of been a lineal storytelling process. And now we are you know, we're branching universe, as it were, building a whole big new thing, and that's pretty amazing. I'm extremely excited about the, uh, you know, the, the Vault Unbound partnership we're putting together with Kajabi, so big thanks to you for helping bring that together. Oh, thank you. And then, you know, in parallel to what we're building with Headshell, we have uh, another couple of lines that we'll be launching with some of the most recognizable faces uh, from from the screen and from the internet, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I think this is towards the end. Like we now have some time to take some questions from the audience. So, and I think while we're doing the Q and A, we have some giveaways that we'll be giving out there. And I think everybody in the audience uh, received a card. And if you scan the QR code there, you'll get, you know, 60 days free to the, the Vault Unbound site and an opportunity to buy some uh, special editions that won't be available to anybody else. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Hi. Thanks very much. Great presentation. Damien, I'm, um, I'm very interested in Vault strategy um, through comic shops. Of course, so many comic books are sold through comic shops. And this seems like uh, very expansive thinking. How do you incorporate that into what you do with a project like this? So, I mean, we're deeply connected to the comics retail community, uh, not to be like a total crazy evangelist for them, but comics retail, like comic shops, they're the really like the last independent arts retailer out there. So you've got about, in North America, call it something like 3,000, North America and the UK, like 3,000 independent comic shops. I think like the music business would get into a knife fight to get 3,000 independent record stores back in the U.S., right? We have this, and it's incredible. And that's where we built our business, is, you know, selling comics through comics retail. And these are some of the smartest, most passionate business people you'll ever meet. So for them, as we expand the headshell line and recognition of that relationship we've had for years and the incredible work we do, like we'll naturally be providing exclusive additions to the comics retail marketplace, making sure that they're able to serve their audience in a way that recognizes that deep relationship of loyalty. And like it's easy to sort of write them off like, oh, fringe, fringe business. They're not at all, right? Like We wouldn't have the MCU if we didn't still have comic shops. They held on to the IP that has become the foundation for, what, 25 of the 50 highest-grossing film franchises of all time come out of the comic book landscape. So we take that partnership extremely seriously, and, you know, I think half of my favorite professional connections are comics retailers. 
Uh, this is for you, Damien, uh, big fan, uh, Phil. Um, I'm a kid from the 70s, and this was attempted before because KISS did a comic book series that wasn't very well curated, from what I recall. The stories weren't very good. I think they even went on to do a, a TV movie. So uh, KISS meets the Phantom or something, like in 77 or 78. Uh, I'm serious. I'm, I'm dead serious. So, Damien, like, you've got like a real um, challenge, I think, on your hands to maintain the integrity of a brand like Def Leppard, because I think looking back at an example like that, it didn't go very well. Are you familiar with that story and how that went? Yeah, so I'm very familiar with that. And I, I think probably, you know, be prudent to avoid throwing anybody under the bus here. But, uh, you know, there are approaches you can take to make sure that you're creating a story that feels authentic and feels exciting for the, the artists involved. And that's going to differ from artist to artist. The way we work with Phil and his team is very different than the way we work with Metallica, very different than the way we work with Redman. But in each of these processes, the, the sort of driving goal is how do we connect on a story that means something to the artist? And once we have that, we know if it means something to the artist, it will mean something to their fans. That's, that's given at that point. The other, the other part of this is that we're in an extremely different market environment than KISS was in the 70s and 80s. In 1977, there's no way to sell a comic book directly or a graphic novel directly uh, to the audience. You can't meet them where they are, which meant that as a, as a brand like KISS, they had to ask a question like, how do we succeed at scale commercially because we can't succeed uh, you know, in this disintermediated way? We don't have to ask that question now. What we have to do is deliver a story that connects straight to the fan because we can sell a book straight to a fan. And then once we've demonstrated success in the direct-to-consumer landscape, you know, we can have the, the book buyers fistfight one another to get their exclusive deals for Barnes & Noble or wherever. Uh, first of all, thank you, all three of you, for being here and sharing your time and your wisdom uh, and all the work that you're doing. Uh, the first question for Damien. So I am an award-winning writer, and I'm really interested in breaking into the comic book industry. So I, I apologize. It's a very selfish question for me and maybe a few others. Um, and I know that you talked about wanting to give voices to underrepresented audiences or uh, creators, and that is amazing. Uh, so I'm from Oregon. And so, like, the darling from Oregon's Dark Horse Comics. And for me to break into that industry... Dark Horse really wants you to have like pretty much your whole team ready. They want you to have like an artist. They want to have everything. So I'm I'm curious for you, Damien. Like, what are you looking for to bring in like new creators? And how could someone like me work with Vaults? And then uh, Phil, I'm curious for you. Uh, also, huge Def Leppard fan. That music is so important to me. What uh, song are you most proud of, uh, or what song do you like to play the most? Thank you. Um, I'll let you go first. Yeah. So. For us, we generally start, you know, when we're thinking about acquisitions, uh, we haven't had open submissions in a number of years because the way we approach building a catalog is, is very carefully curated. Uh, so we tend to be thinking, we want this specific kind of book. Who do we think can execute on that well? And then we'll reach out to those people. So I think probably the very straightforward answer is, you know, do a lot of work, put it out for people to see, and if you want to be working in the comics landscape, interact with other people who are doing a lot of work there. They'll make introductions. They'll, you know, they'll patch you into the network. And then the other, you know, 
art is hard, right? Making art really wears you down. Um, unfortunately, when you make art in a commercial setting, you also have to be a professional. And, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't get the free days that you may want. So what we, we look for all the time is, you know, can we fill these acquisition targets? Can we hit them the way that we want to? And can we do it with a team we know we can rely on day in and day out? Because, you know, again, we're talking about a, a team project. If you're the writer and you miss a script deadline, that means that everybody else behind you is now worried, am I going to get my work done to get paid, that kind of thing. So we try very hard to focus on those two things, you know, hitting the right mark, and doing it with a team that we know we can count on. Um, as for the favorite song, I, I, I like Hysteria. It kind of ticks every box, that song. But um, And I have to say, whenever you play Porsum Sugar Me, for whatever reason, male, female, everyone, it releases their inner stripper. And it's kind of weird, <laughs> but you, you yeah. see it every night, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, including us. So, yeah, there you go. Oh. Hey, Phil, how's it going? I've met you before in Laguna at the Starbucks. There you, oh, there you go. <laughs> Hello. Well, I um, run a rehearsal studio in Cleveland, Ohio, where there's 500 rock bands playing there. I own it. And there's also a small venue there. Can you speak to the bands that are developing about rehearsal? And how do you know when you have a successful piece of art? What can you speak to that about developing something that, shall we say, brings out your inner stripper? Uh, it, it's really hard because many, many times we've, we've thought we've created something like that and it just didn't ignite, you know. So um, I, I always say, you know, you've got to plan for plan A, B, C, D, F, G, and it may be X or Z or way down. You just got to be prepared for that. And I think that that kind of separates a lot of people straight off the bat. You know, your your best isn't good enough. That's 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 our starting point you know, with, with a lot of bands, and, and it's, a, it's, it's extremely hard. Sometimes there's a bit of luck there. The team is really important. If we keep coming back to that, that thing. It's the band, the chemistry of the band, the people around them, everyone who's, who's working on it. And, and yeah, you, you, sometimes you just don't know, but they're the things you can do. They're the things that you get your team, get the, the chemistry, and the ego thing. There's no, no place for it. So it's, uh, that's where I'd start, and then the other stuff just comes into play afterwards. I want to chase Phil on that briefly just to say that, um, you know, that, that note you made about ego, I think it's like critically important to remember that you're not making it for you. Absolutely. hundred percent. That's, that's really, really cool right there. That says everything, right? Yeah. Hey everyone. Um, I study AI and I'm also a musical artist and I've been really impressed with how AI is like, you know, bringing more people into the space. And I'm really curious with like mixed reality, how are there any plans to kind of bring the reader into these worlds that you're creating, like bring them on stage? Uh, for us, we, we haven't really done a lot of work in that landscape yet. It's something we think about uh, you know, pretty carefully all the time. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure everybody here, you know, had their thought about, oh, what are we going to do with Web3 at some point? And I, I'll, I'll give you the framework that we approach that with, which is, like, show me how we can make this essential to the storytelling, and then we'll engage with that technology. And that's always, you know, the focus for us. Whatever, whatever we may be doing, it can't feel like a bolt-on, right? It has to feel integral. And I think... You know, as exciting as the technology is at the moment, for us, we don't see the way 
day to day to make it essential to the storytelling. We know that threshold is going to come sometime very soon. And when it does, we'll be thrilled to, you know, sort of take that step. I can, I can talk about how we leverage AI at Kajabi for creators. Um, so, you know, with creators, when they're trying to build a business, they, they typically have uh, some of the same pain points. So how we approach product is like, hey, what is the biggest customer problem we can solve for? And how do we tackle those problems, right? And typically with creators trying to start a business, it's a lot of the same pain points. They say, hey, I got to uh, do the research on the type of content I got to create. I got to put it together. I got to put an island together. I got to write it all down. I got to write the emails, landing pages. I got to find the pictures for it. I mean, it's just like on and on and on and on, right? It can take weeks. It can literally take weeks to get something up and running. Um, so, you know, the solution for us, and we started looking at this about a year ago, was generative AI. And it was uh, revolutionary for us in terms of being able to help people just remove some of those roadblocks altogether, right? So uh, for, for our creators, uh, when they're trying to build a course business, for instance, uh, you know, it was um, basically putting them, putting them at a, uh, you know, head start versus like if you have a blank piece of paper, like build something, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do versus you have something that's there to kind of get inspiration from. It's, it's definitely not a replacement at all, for sure. Like people can tell the difference between you know, AI-generated, like, copy versus, uh, you know, someone coming up with it authentically with your own experiences as a, as a you know, creator. Uh, but it does give you a good baseline of, of uh, you know, fundamentally of where to start. So from that perspective, I think we were able to save, you know, people, like, hundreds of hours of work. Uh, but I, in no way, I don't think in the future that it's, it's going to replace artists or creators and so on. Like, that authenticity is, like, really, really critical. If anything, you know, it's, it's going to enhance that for, for artists, yeah. Hey, Phil, thanks for coming. Um, Def Leppard, insane powerhouse for, like, rock and metal and did great stuff for, the like, the industry and everything. Um, and I was wondering if you had any tips for, I mean, I'm a musician, um, if you had any tips for, like, aspiring songwriter um, for, like, how to get into, um, like, the mood for writing, how to get inspired and how to be productive while writing, as well as how to not compare yourself to other um, other works, you know, because so, I'm, I'm just like, oh, that's not good. So... I stop, therefore, like, it keeps snowballing. I can't get better because I can't get better, you know? So how do you have Can you to speak up a little bit? I can't. Sorry. I missed that last bit. Um, like, I, I get in that spiral. It's just like, I don't want to write because I feel like it's not going to be good, but it can't get better if I don't write, you know? Right. So this this comes up all the time. I I, um, I write some stuff and, and I go, oh, my God, this sucks. So I, I, I leave it. But I, it's good to write with other people as well, going back to this team thing. I, I do a lot of songwriting with, with other people a couple of the things ended up on our new Def Leppard album they originally were going to be for someone else and then the guys in, in our band were like oh no this is totally a Def Leppard song we got to do this so I, I think it's great working with different people I work with this guy called Sam Hollander who, who, who done a Panic at the Disco's High Hopes he done that song and and we wrote this song called uh, Fire It Up which sounds like a Def Leppard song or, or Joan Jett or something like that so I think it's important to get different um, textures and, and ideas from different songwriters. So I, the, the trick is to write all the time. It, it's not to, to select it, it's to go, my phone is just jam-packed of, of silly ideas. It could be a, or I'm just singing, or a bass riff, or a, a melody, or a lyric. 
And it's it's constant. And I think that that's what you should do. You shouldn't worry about whether someone's going to... People are going to hate anyway. Whatever you do, and people are going to love as well. So it's it doesn't matter. So you, you go on any social media thing. It could be the best thing in the world within three comments. Someone goes, dude, this sucks. So that that's going to happen. So I, I would say just... Write, 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 write all the time and, and write with different people and, and it's all great. And you'll know, you'll know if something's not cut and if it doesn't cut it, change it or, or, or write something better. And it's as simple as that. It really is. Cheers. So I think we have one more. Okay. Hi, my name is Carly. I have a writing question also, but it's more for Damien. Um, I've been seeing uh, t- some staffing issues with like finding some really good writers. And I don't know if you're seeing a decrease in great writers, but that's something that I've noticed among applicants. And I'm wondering if you have any advice on how to attract maybe some more senior and experienced writers. So for us, as I mentioned, the, the approach we take is generally, you know, a very curated, very targeted approach to building our catalog. So we'll reach out to writers we want to work with and invite them to come work with us. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about this when Phil was talking about, you know, doing the work. Um, I think you have to, like, read obsessively, where I use the word read construed in, like, the, the most expansive way, right? Where if it's audiobooks, if it's podcasts, whatever... Um, and you know, like get outside whatever bubble you might be in. So if you feel like oh, I'm having a hard time staffing writers for a video game project, then stop looking for video game writers and start looking for people who wrote the most compelling four words you've ever read to a cookbook or start looking for people who wrote that one-act play that you can't get out of your head that you saw 10 years ago in Brooklyn, right? get out of the bubble that you're in and start asking, you know, where can I bring in a different perspective? And one thing that you'll know if you're going to a writer who has done the work is they have the professionalism to do it. So even if they have to learn a different technical framework, they're going to come figure it out. So one of the books I'm proudest of that we we published is a, a horror graphic novel called The Autumnal from a writer named Daniel Krauss, who started his career as a, a librarian and sort of a research librarian at that and then became a novelist, and he'd never written a comic book or graphic novel, but we got this pitch in front of us, and you know, we said, Daniel, we can like pair you with a comics writer, and he said, no, I just want to figure it out on my own. We're going to do the work, and he really did the work. Like It was a lot for him to do, but at the end of the day, what we got was like one of the most exciting pieces we've ever published because he came from outside you know, the orbit, so you know, kick down the walls wherever you can. If you need talent and they're not in the room you're in, go into a different room. Awesome. All right, I think that's it for the panel. Thank you so much for your time. Phil, Damien, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.